Hey friends, Jason Miller here. You're listening to the South Bend City Church Podcast. If you'd like to watch this teaching, just look for South Bend City Church on YouTube or find our Instagram account at SB City Church. Whether you're local and tuning in this way because our gatherings are suspended because of COVID or you're a member of our long-distance digital family, we love you and we hope you're well-served by this teaching. If you'd like to financially support the work, please go to southbendcitychurch.com give. Matthew chapter 9 says something it shouldn't. At least if Matthew is telling the story that a lot of us have been told is being told in the Gospels about Jesus, if it's the story that we've been told, Matthew 9 says something it shouldn't say. At least that's how it feels when I read it. And I've been meditating on it, especially because we're in Epiphany. And we are looking for the surprising discovery of the life of God in Jesus. But we're also open to how that discovery might illuminate some things about ourselves and our neighbors and our enemies. And and Matthew 9, in, in one way it says something it shouldn't, but in another way, if we are on the hunt for what the life of God in Jesus has to say about the life of God in us, I think it's perfect. And so I wanna read this text to you, and then I wanna work out with you a little bit of why it feels funny, but what it might actually be saying. So this is Matthew chapter nine. This is, uh, again, Matthew's one of those four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament. And here we're about a third of the way into the story that Matthew is telling about Jesus. And we read this. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow's blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. And then the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to humans. Did you catch the thing that seems a little strange, especially if if you've maybe been raised with some of the expectations that I was raised with around the story of Jesus? To me, the text that sounds strange is that the crowd sees this miracle happen, they're filled with awe, and then they praise God who had given such authority to humans. By the way, my translation actually says to man, but the Greek is like the plural humans. You and me, this whole homo sapien species. Now, uh, this is interesting to me because I think it's really easy to do this thing with Jesus where we create religious settings and we talk a lot about Jesus and we praise Jesus and we marvel at Jesus. And, and we do it in such a way that puts more and more distance between us and Jesus. It's, it's almost like there's two ways of worshiping Jesus. And the way I'm talking about right now is the one where we obsess over how different Jesus is from us and we revel in how different Jesus is from us, and we start talking about how Jesus is all the things that we could never be and that we have never been, and we put Jesus on the kind of pedestal that separates him from us. And pretty soon what happens is as that gap grows between who he is and and what he has done and who we are and what we think we can do, the possibilities of our own lives get smaller and smaller and smaller as we have this picture of Jesus that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. This is one of the ways of worshiping Jesus. And uh, it leads us to a point, I think, where he almost becomes a, a, 
a religious figure that has little to say to us about us except that we don't measure up and that we need him. Now, by the way, in my life, my experience of Jesus is that I actually need him. But hang with me. Let me, let me keep working this out. If you worship Jesus in this way, if you adore Jesus in this way, if you pay attention to Jesus in this way where he's all the things that we could never be, well, pretty soon his example doesn't really matter that much, does it? I wonder if this is why we have so many people who worship Jesus, but don't seem to be that invested in the kind of world that Jesus believes in or calls for. And I'm not trying to throw shade anywhere else because if you went through my life story, you would find painful examples of this left and right. That we can make a big deal about Jesus, but then seems so far from the example of Jesus. And then, frankly, some of these pages in the Bible don't really have a lot to say to us except, wow, look at Jesus. Isn't he so great? Isn't that neat? I need lots of Jesus. That's a way of worshiping Jesus, but I don't think it's the one that we're being called to. Now, there's another way of, of worshiping Jesus, and people sometimes say that you become like what you worship. And I think that can happen as we pay attention to Jesus. And I think that that's actually what this text is calling us to. The New Testament says strange things. For example, it reminds us in Luke's gospel that we are all sort of descendants of Adam. But then it also says in a peculiar sort of poetic way in Luke's genealogy that Jesus is the descendant of Adam, as if to say that all the things that we are here for, he is here for, and all the things that he is doing, we are meant to do. Right? Or how about the, the big framing on scripture? Day one, first page of the, of the Bible, at the very beginning, actually the sixth day, but the very beginning of the text, we are called bearers of the sacred image of God. And then in the New Testament, Jesus is called the image of the invisible God. But then we read that we have been invited to be conformed to that image in Christ, as if to say that God never gave up on the plot, that we are still here to bear the image of God. So that when we say that Jesus is bearing the image of God, what we're saying is he's here to remind us what we were always here for. And so Jesus performs this miracle in front of the people and they're filled with awe and they give glory to God, not just because of what Jesus has done, but because when they watched Jesus do this thing, they felt that they learned something about themselves, that God was reminding them or showing them what God has given us to do. It, we, we can look at all the things that Jesus does and think primarily as if those are things he does because we can't do them and we won't do them. Or we can look at all of the things that Jesus does and celebrate the fact that not only has he done them when we haven't, but that he's showing us how to do them. So, so when we see Jesus healing, we can be grateful because we might need some healing and, and the promise might be that we could find some healing in him. That's really great. But what if he's also showing us this capacity for healing to show us how to live into our capacity for healing, right? Uh, when Jesus speaks the truth in difficult situations where things have gotten murky and powers are in play, maybe he's doing that because we have failed to speak the truth when things get murky and powers are in play. So I'm so glad that Jesus does those things that we haven't done, but maybe he's also doing it to show us how to. And when Jesus dies, it's, it's 
common to speak of Jesus dying so that we don't have to, but what if Jesus died to show us how to? What if everything he's doing is meant to evoke the same reaction in us that this crowd had when they see him do something wonderful and they celebrate at the authority that God has given all of us? Because when you see Jesus doing something, it's not just about Jesus doing something, it's telling us something about all of us. So if Jesus is healing to show us how to heal, and if Jesus is telling the truth to show us how to tell the truth, and if Jesus is living the kind of life that we have been invited to live, well then how? If he's doing these things, if he's living this life to show us how to, well then how, right? And I've been stewing on this for a while. And there are some little data points in the text that for me have been creating a, a growing, emerging picture of the big, how in Jesus's life. And I, I wanna propose that it's the how for us uh, right now as we enter into another year with COVID rattling us and all the insecurities in the economy and all the questions about when and how we're gonna get back to regular life, whatever that is. All the things that you are feeling right now, I wanna suggest that there's a big how wrapped up in Jesus's life that we could take seriously right now. And, it, and it's, um, it's hinted at, for example, in a pattern in Luke's gospel, where if you read through Luke's gospel, uh, you'll discover that over and over and over again, Luke speaks of Jesus withdrawing to lonely places to pray. Now, hold on, I'm not just saying go pray and that'll fix everything, hang with me. But we see this pattern in Jesus's life over and over again, that he withdraws and he prays, which is kind of weird depending on your Christology. Like, <laughs> Depending on how you think about how it is that God and humanity fit together in Jesus, it could be kind of strange, but he goes away to lonely places to pray. And Jesus says things like, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. And then he speaks that peculiar beatitude at the beginning of Matthew 5, when he begins his great sermon, he says, if you have a poverty within you, if you are poor in spirit, I call you blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the thing that I think Jesus knows about the how that we keep forgetting. I think Jesus knows that all of us, strangely enough, him included, in that life that he lived 2,000 years ago, him and us, that all of us are conduit, not source. This uh, has become like my new mantra for 2021, conduit, not source. I even talked about it on our Sunday Morning Live a couple of weeks ago, conduit, not source that it's in the very nature of being human that we are meant to be open that our hearts are meant to be open that what we have to give comes through us not just out of us and perhaps that's why jesus over and over again goes to lonely places to pray and open his heart and let these things flow through him because he knows we are conduit not source i suggest um that when he says that if you have a poverty within your spirit, I call you blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps he knows that the way that we find a poverty within us is that our souls are not a closed system. The people who have a poverty within them are perhaps people who haven't pulled up the drawbridge or built the walls around their hearts so high and so thick that nothing can come in or out. That if you feel a little bit robbed within, that the reason you might've been robbed is that your heart was open. And perhaps because the heart is open, he says, you're blessed because that same openness will be the way that the kingdom of God flows through you because we are always meant to be conduit, not source. 
Uh, there's a moment in one of the Gospels where Jesus faces a catastrophe. His friend, his cousin John, has been executed in a brutal and sadistic way. And his response to this is to go pray, which I take to be a habit of open-heartedness. And then in the same chapter in the text, he performs a miracle in front of these massive crowds and they're all cheering for him and celebrating him. And what does he do? He slips away and he goes pray, and prays, which is to say he invokes a habit of open-heartedness, whether things are at their worst or at their best, which, which is interesting to me because when things are at my worst, fear tends to cause me to close up my heart. And when things are at their best, ego tends to cause me to close up my heart. At their worst, I wanna protect myself. And at my best, I think myself is all that I need. And so I wanna close up my heart. But Jesus seems to live this life of open-heartedness because perhaps he knows that to be human is to be conduit, not sourced. Now, sometimes when people talk about like God, you know, flowing through us, moving through us, we say things like, you know, we just want to get out of the way or like less of us, more of you, which by the way, I know that's a line from scripture, but uh, there's an interpretation on that that I think is important. We don't have time for right now. But sometimes when we talk about like opening up and letting God move through us, it, it comes attached to a view of humanity that I don't think is right. There's this, there's this thing about like being open and letting it flow through us that seems to be built on the idea that like there's nothing good in you. You are so wrong and so broken. You are such a problem that the only way for anything good to happen or to flow through you is for you to get out of the way because you're a problem and we need God to sort of show up and overcome the problem that is you. I don't think that's right. Like the, the fact that we are conduit, I don't think that's a response to something wrong with us. I think that's part of what was always right about us. That like to say that, that the fact that we need to open ourselves to the, the flow is to say there's something wrong with us. That's almost like saying there's something wrong with a riverbed because it's waiting for water. That's not right, is it? I mean, a, a riverbed is made for water to flow. A vessel is made to carry something beyond itself. And I think it's just part of being human. It's actually a beautiful, relational, connected way of being human that we were always meant to be conduit, not source. And so Jesus is moving through the world, uh, praying and keeping his heart open, whether the worst events come at him and fear might threaten to close him up, or whether the best praise come toward him and, and the ego might threaten to close him up. I see him just continuing to open that heart and perhaps remind himself as he walks through that ancient world that he is conduit, not source. Perhaps if, if you and I remember that we are conduit, not source, and we find patterns of opening in the heart, of trusting, of letting resentments and fear and grandiosity fall to the wayside so that we can keep opening our hearts, perhaps we will be astounded at the authority that God has given us to do beautiful, and redemptive things in the world. Now, um, this stands out to me in particular because uh, of how I came into 2021. And I shared this uh, on that Sunday morning live, but I wanna bring it in here because I wanna be transparent with you about what the last month or so of my life has been like and why this is so important to me. Uh, we got to the end of 2020 and like all of you, it was a marathon uh, for us as a church and I distinctly remember, um, we, our plan was that we, we had this space open on Christmas Eve all day. And then at the end of Christmas Eve, we were gonna kind of shut things down. And then as an organization and as a staff, we we're gonna go quiet until Monday, January 4th. We we're gonna take a big deep rest together. 
And so um, that last couple of weeks in December, I think all of us, and probably in your life too, whatever you were uh, wrapping up at the end of the year, I know I, I was like crawling to the finish line, one gasp at a time. And then we get to that quiet period of rest uh, between Christmas and New Year's. And that was a really good week for me. I stayed home, I got quiet, I watched some movies, I read some books, did some journaling, did some praying. And then on Monday, January 4th, we're gonna reboot and start things back up again as a community. And the weekend before January 4th, where I, I thought I would be kind of ramping back up and finding my energy and ready to dive back in, I got besieged with a pretty dark depression. There's like this 48 hours there where this thing just landed on me and it was heavy and it was dark. Kind of came out of nowhere and I, and I could feel the weight of it. And I, I looked ahead and I realized that the thought of sustaining this work for many more months of COVID life, whatever that's gonna look like for us, it just felt like too much. I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if I wanted to do it. I didn't know like how I would persist through this seemingly never ending season where in my work, it's like the best parts of the job have disappeared and the hardest parts of the job have gotten bigger and harder. And it feels like it takes so much. And I'm not just speaking for me, I know. But the thought of like diving back into that experience for who knows how long in 2021, it got really, really scary for me. And then I was reading through these gospels as we're doing these gospel readings as a church. Oh, by the way, if you're on the reading plan, uh, good for you. If you wanna join the reading plan, we're reading through these gospels right now. You can find our reading plan on Instagram or in the email newsletter. And you can jump in wherever we are, you can start at the beginning, but we're reading the gospels and I was reading the gospels and I was reminded of all these moments where the people around Jesus are being taught that it's not about whether they seem to have enough on their own. It's not about when they look within them or around them, whether they see enough. It's about whether they're open and that if they're open, they will discover that they are conduit, not source. And that the thing that they are a conduit for, the power and the life and the love of God, the abundance of God, that it has no end or limit, that it never runs out or runs dry, you simply have to open and, and say yes. Um, that began to turn me around as I entered this new year. And I, I found myself shifting from a sort of paranoid fear about this taking too much from me and into a, a slowly growing curiosity about what will flow through me in this season. And I wonder the same for you. Like if you don't have to come up with it on your own, if you don't have to lock your heart down to protect yourself, if you don't have to let the ego keep you all wrapped up inside yourself, but instead realize you could just open your heart and, and whether it's through prayer or some other posture, find a way of saying yes to that loving presence that has always wanted to flow through us. If, if, you, if you do that, I wonder what kind of possibilities will emerge. And I wonder how we will marvel as we watch your life I wonder how we will marvel at the authority and the power that God has given humans as God lives God's life in us in the same way that God lives God's life through Jesus. Now this whole thing, this whole thing in Matthew 9, uh, it starts with that story of the, of, the, of the paralytic, right? Let me remind you um, how this began. The beginning of Matthew 9, Jesus steps off the boat 
And some people bring to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat, and Jesus sees the faith of the friends around this person, which is interesting, and a whole sermon of its own sometime. And the first thing Jesus says is, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And that's what riles up the teachers of the law, and they say it's blasphemy. And then Jesus says, well, uh, if you're wondering whether I have the authority to forgive sins, how about this? I'm going to heal him. And that's a little harder to fake it, right? It's not just words. You're going to see him get up and walk. So then you'll know the first thing I said was true too. And, and some commentators, they, they've been meditating on what you might call a sort of spiritual interpretation of this text. And the question that some of them ask is, like, what is it that had this man paralyzed? Now, I want to be really careful. I'm not making a big generic statement about modern health problems or maladies. Okay? I'm just trying to live inside the peculiar world of this story in this text. So hang with me there for a moment. What is it that had this man paralyzed? What is it that kept him from getting up and walking forward? And if you've ever felt paralyzed in life, what is it that has held you back from getting up and walking forward? Jesus sees a man stuck, like quite literally stuck, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And the more I meditate on that, I can't help but wonder if, if, if this is not just a story about a person physically paralyzed um, who needs a sort of medical miracle, but whether this is also a story about all of us who are stuck because something about our failures has told us that we are not eligible for the life of God to come into us and flow through us. And so the way that Jesus prepares this man to get up and walk is to look him in the eye and say, your sins are forgiven. Your failures aren't fatal. They aren't the final word on who you are. And maybe something about speaking that forgiveness to this man is the thing that prepared him to get up and walk forward. And I keep discovering that the thing that keeps so many of us from getting up and walking forward isn't our pride, although pride is a problem, and it isn't our ego, although ego is a problem. Often the thing that keeps us from getting up and walking forward is our fear of our own failure in the sense that we are not eligible for the life of God to flow through us. Perhaps we thought we could have been a conduit, but we've used up that opportunity and made ourselves ineligible for that. And so Jesus looks the man in the eye and says, hey, all of those problems in your life, all those failures that you think are fatal, they're not. They're forgiven. They're not the final word on you. And perhaps not just for this man, but for you and me. That's the thing that prepares us to get up and walk forward again. When you realize God is still eager to live God's life in you, still eager to flow through you. And perhaps there are a whole bunch of us who in some ways are sitting on the sidelines not realizing we're being called back in. And it simply requires us to open our hearts and to believe that we are still eligible candidates, a conduits that God would use to flow through. And if we do that this year, this strange year, we're still waiting on COVID to sort of be sorted out. We're still unsure of what the economy will do. We're still unsure of how and when we will be back together. And when we are back together, we're wondering what kind of wounds and casualties we will see in our midst. In the face of all of that, this story about Jesus, I don't think it's just about Jesus. I think it's about the capacity for all of us to be agents of healing and forgiveness, to get up and walk when we know that we are conduit, not source. So friends, uh, may you worship Jesus, may you be 
caught up in adoration for the life that he lives on these gospel pages and in our midst. But as you do that, may you know that, that the things that we see in him are also telling us something about us. Uh, may we open our hearts through prayer or some other posture. And as we open our hearts, may we discover that we too are eligible conduits for the good and abundant and loving life of God. And may grace and peace be with you.